You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. This has been the topic of conversation in my house this week. Uh, I think it's Haggai. My wife thinks it's Haggai. Uh, and so uh, I will say Haggai the rest of today. All right. Uh, if you, uh, so turn with me to uh, Haggai. Uh, now, if you're new with us, my name's Ethan. Uh, I'm the pastor here uh, at Central, and I just want you to know how glad I am that you're here uh, worshiping with us today, uh, and we hope it's our prayer every week that you feel loved uh, and you feel welcomed here at Central. Over uh, the last several weeks, we've been walking through uh, this series called Summer in the Miners, where we're just taking uh, one minor prophet a week, and we're looking to see what was the prophet's message, and then how does that apply to us today? Uh, and if this is your first time with us, uh, you've chosen a great week to come because we have turned a corner uh, in the minor prophets from judgment to rebuilding. Uh, and all of God's people said, amen, right? Uh, um, I read uh, Haggai this week and I thought, thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, so uh, in the book of Haggai is where we are going to be this morning. Uh, and I want you to think about the early 2000s. Right, the, the early 2000s, uh, from 2000 to 2010, uh, were really kind of a decade of rebuilding. Right? We, we think about uh, the, the attacks on September 11th, and the aftermath of that was spent uh, rebuilding the World Trade Center. 2005, Hurricane Katrina hits the city of New Orleans, floods 80% of the city, and then coming out of that, uh, the focus was on rebuilding New Orleans. Uh, today, four out of five people who left after Katrina are now back in the city of New Orleans after a cost of right around $100 billion to rebuild that city. Rebuilding is never easy. If you're a sports fan like me, uh, then you hear from time to time that, that this program is in a rebuilding year or uh, this program is in a rebuilding season or some programs seem to be in a rebuilding decade or whatever it may be, right? But rebuilding is never easy. And as we look at the book of Haggai this morning, what we're going to see is we are going to see a picture of the Lord calling his people to rebuild what was torn down. And so he's going to call his people to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And we'll see how this works out here in just a minute. But as we look at the book of Haggai, we're going to see this truth. There is beauty and blessing in obedience to God. There is beauty and blessing in obedience to God. To God. Uh, well, look with me here at uh, the book of Haggai is where we are going to be. Uh, let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word uh, here in Haggai. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Haggai chapter one is where we will be together uh, this morning. Starting in verse one, the prophet says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag 
uh, with holes. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me as we continue in worship? Lord, thank you so much for your word that is true. And Father, we hope that what we just sang isn't just words of our lips, but Father, that that is the prayer of our hearts, God, that you would speak this morning, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we know that your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through it through even now. Father, we pray that, that your word would be as real to us today as it was coming from the lips and the pen of Haggai. Father, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look here at the book of Haggai, the, uh, the first move, we're going to look at a few movements through this book. The, the first move that we see is the call of obedience. The call of obedience or the call to obedience. Now, obedience is a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, when we talk about obedience, people respond in different ways. Uh, some people hear the call of obedience or the call to obey, and, and your thought, maybe it goes to, well, I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do, right? You've got authority issues. That's, that's where I am, right? Oh, you want me to obey? Well, you're not my mom, right? You're, you're not the boss of me. Uh, some of us, though, we, we hear the call of obedience, and we think, yeah, hey, when everyone obeys, we all get along, right? Everything goes well. Well, here in Haggai, we see that there is beauty and there is blessing and obedience to God. Now, we don't know much about this prophet. We don't know much about Haggai. And he, he gives us a little insight into uh, when his ministry began there in verse 1. He tells us in the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month on the first day of the month. And, and so we can actually identify pretty well when Haggai was writing, he was writing right around the year 520 BC. And we know from his book that at least this part of his ministry ran for about four months. And his ministry coincided with the prophet Zechariah, who we'll look at next week. In fact, if you were to go back towards the front of your Old Testament, seeing you were to look at Ezra, and you were to go to Ezra chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2 of Ezra chapter 5, Ezra actually tells us, in the days of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And so we know that these two prophets were contemporaries, their ministries overlapped. And here in Haggai, this book is a collection of oracles. It's a collection of prophecies. It's a, a collection of messages from the mouth of the Lord to his people Judah through his prophet Haggai. Now, to understand this book, we've got to understand the historical context of what's happening. For, for this book to make sense, we've really got to understand, okay, what is it uh, that's happening that is caused or that has brought Israel, that has brought Judah to this place? So I'm going to give you some dates. You don't have to memorize these. Uh, they won't be on the test, I promise. So uh, in 722 BC, the Assyrians invade and they force Israel into exile. They force Israel into exile in Babylon. And then 150 years go by, and in 586, the Babylonians, they finally, they destroy Jerusalem, including the temple. And things are bad. But then in 539, Persia invades Assyria and captures Babylon. And then Cyrus, the king of Persia, he issues a decree and in this decree, he allows the Jews to not only return to their land, to return to the promised land, but also to rebuild their city and more importantly, to rebuild the temple. 
And so he issues this decree in 539, and then what we know is that by 536, just three years later, that work on the temple had stalled. There were economic pressures that were happening. There were also external pressures that were affecting what was happening. But, but work on the temple had stalled. And then 520, Haggai and Zechariah, they come on the scene and they begin their ministry. And so here in the book of Haggai, what we see is we see him beginning his ministry with a call to obedience. So look at verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so this book begins not with the Lord saying, thus saith the Lord, but with the Lord saying, thus saith the people, right? Here's what I've called the people to do, and they aren't doing it, right? They refuse to do it for whatever reason. It says that the people have said that now is not the time to rebuild the temple. Now is not the time to rebuild the house of the Lord. But look at verse 3. He keeps going. He says, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So what the Lord is saying is he's saying, look, you're saying that now's not the time to rebuild the temple, but now is the time for you to rebuild your homes? Now is the time for you to, to rebuild your house? That, that really the reason that Judah, the, the reason that God's people couldn't be bothered to rebuild the temple is because they were too focused on their own comforts. They were too focused on rebuilding their own homes, rebuilding their own houses. And so what does the Lord say? He says, is, isn't now not the time to rebuild the house? And he uses this phrase, and this phrase is going to come up several times through the book. He says, consider your ways. And so in verse 7, look at verse 6. He says, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you earn wages, and you put them in bags with holes. And so what he's, what he's saying is saying, look, you've neglected rebuilding the temple. You've neglected the house of the Lord. And so what he's doing here is he's reminding the people that because of their disobedience, they are experiencing curses for breaking the covenant. They're experiencing scarcity. So you, you sow much, right? You plant much, but you don't harvest much. You eat, but, but you just never seem to have enough. You, you drink, but you're always thirsty. You, you have clothes, but you're never warm. You earn money, but you don't know where the money goes. Well, it's because, Israel, of your disobedience. And so look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Right? There's that phrase, consider your ways again. What's he's, what he's doing is he's saying, look, you've done this, and it's gotten you nothing, right? That you're always hungry, you're always cold, all of that. Now consider a better way. Look at verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And so the Lord calls them to consider a better way. And what is that better way? That better way is to stop focusing on their houses and start focusing on the temple. It's to stop focusing on, on their desires, on their wants, and instead to start focusing uh, on really God's kingdom agenda, on, on God's plan. 
And if they will do that, then he's going to bless them. If they want God's blessing, then they must obey. Now we read this passage and we see the Lord saying, look, if you will just be obedient, then I will bless you. Right? If you will just be obedient, then I will give you all that you're looking for. I'll give you full plates. I'll give you full harvest. I will make you warm. I will clothe you. You will be blessed. You will flourish. And we read this and maybe we're tempted to think, you know what? If I'm just obedient, if I just do what God has said, then he's going to give me what I want, right? That, that if I just do what the Lord has called me to do, then that means that, that he is obligated to give me all that I desire. So if I am a good Christian then I will be blessed. If I do this, then I'll get wealthy and I'll get healthy, right? If I can just try hard enough and just be good enough, then the Lord will give me what I want. Now, is that what the Lord is saying here? It is what the Lord is saying here. But he's saying it to Israel under the old covenant. He's not saying it to us under the new covenant. See, in the Old Covenant, material blessings were tied to the promised land. In the Old Covenant, there were covenant blessings, right, that if you keep the covenant, then this will happen, this good thing will happen, but there were also covenant curses, right, that if you break the covenant, then this will happen and that will happen, but what we've got to be careful about is that we don't misapply and misappropriate these verses for us because we don't live under the Old Covenant. So this is a hermeneutical principle, right? Hermeneutics, that's just the way that you understand the Bible, the way you read and apply the Bible. One of the most important things you can do when you're reading the Bible is to remember where you are, right? To remember where you are in the Bible. And so as we're reading the Old Testament, what we need to do is we need to remember that as we're reading the Old Testament, if we want to apply it to our lives correctly, then what that means is we have to read it understanding that this was written under the Old Covenant and we live under the New Covenant, right? And that Christ has come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so now the way that this passage is applying to us is going to look different. See, we live under the new covenant. And so our blessing is not tied to a promised land the way it was in the old covenant. Our blessing is tied to a new creation. So material blessing now is not because of our obedience. In fact, I know people who are blessed in spite of their obedience, right? In spite of their disobedience, right? Our blessing is not tied to our obedience. Instead, a material blessing is nothing but God's grace. See, for us, this call to obedience is really a call to intimacy with the Father. That's the blessing that we enjoy. I was reading this morning, and uh, I pulled up Twitter, and uh, there's a guy named Paul David Tripp. If you've never read any of his books, I'd encourage you to read as much Paul Tripp as you can. Uh, and he had, he had tweeted this. He said, our obedience doesn't buy us anything that God's grace hasn't already purchased for us. Our obedience today doesn't buy us anything that Jesus Christ on the cross hasn't already purchased for us. And so we obey not because we hope that if we obey, then we'll be healthy, wealthy, and powerful. But we obey because in our obedience, we get intimacy with the Father. And we'll see this later in the book of Haggai, but 
But what we need to see for right now is, is don't read this book. Don't, don't read any part of the Old Testament and read the Lord saying, hey, if, if you will keep the covenant, then I will bless you. Because that means that if you read it that way, then you also have to read it that if you break the covenant, then I will curse you. But, but here's, here's the good news. The bad news is, is that we can't keep the covenant. The good news is, is that Jesus has. And so our call is not to be as good as you can. Our call is to trust the one who is perfect, right? To trust in Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you think that by coming to church today, then that means that God is going to bless you. Well, I think that he will bless you. But if you think that it means that he's going to bless you financially, or if you even think that by coming to church today, it's going to make you right with him, then you're mistaken, right? That, that, that what makes you right with God isn't what you do, it's what Jesus has done, right? See, the, the gospel isn't do more, right? The gospel is the cry from the cross that it is finished. And if it is finished, then that means that we don't have anything else to do, right? That, that we don't have anything else to add. And so don't, don't hear this call to obedience and think, yes, I want some of that, right? I want some of that gold and some of that silver that he's going to talk about here. That's, that's not what he's talking about. See, we get something so much better than gold and silver. We get Jesus. And so in Haggai, we have this call to obedience. Next, we see this. We have the beauty of obedience. The beauty of obedience. See, now, I think that this is a neglected aspect of obedience. I think this is something that we don't talk about enough, that, that in obedience, there is blessing, but there is a beauty in obedience as well. There's a beauty that we can see and that we can behold. And we're going to see that here in this passage. So look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. So we don't have time to dig into these guys, but what you need to know is that Zerubbabel was basically the national leader and Joshua was the priest. So then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Now, this is uncommon in the Old Testament. Right? Typically in the Old Testament, the people are warned, the people are called to obedience, and then they turn a deaf ear to it. Right? They don't listen, they don't obey. Instead, typically what happens is they rebel. Or what will happen, and, and this happens all through the Old Testament, it's a cycle, uh, that they will disobey, a prophet will come, will call them back to obedience, uh, the people will come back to obedience for a season, uh, then they will slide back into their disobedience, and their prophet will come, right? It's over and over and over. But here, we have the people obeying, we have the, the people listening to the Lord. They obey and they begin the work on the temple. Now jump down to chapter 2 and look at verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. This is just 
additionally, right? If like God's spirit is in our midst, then we have nothing to fear, right? That, that's what he's saying. He's saying if, if, if God's spirit is there, then, then there's really nothing to worry about. So look at verse six. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And so the people, what we just read, the people have been working at this point for a few weeks, and really, they don't have much to show. Some had, had seen the, the temple in its former glory, and this did not compare. And the Lord tells them not to worry. See, he hasn't called them to rebuild what was lost. Instead, he's called them to be obedient. See, the, the Lord wasn't expecting that this second temple was going to look anything like the first temple. If you were to, to look at 1 Kings and you were to read the story of the building of the first temple, it took 180,000 men seven years to rebuild that temple. Now, what we know about Israel returning to the promised land after exile is that some stayed in Babylon, some stayed in exile, but uh, around 50,000, somewhere between 50 and 60,000, it came back to the promised land. And so they have less than a third who came back. And then even of that third, less than that can actually do the building, can actually do the working. And so the Lord encourages them. He, he says, some of you have seen the temple in its former glory, and you understand, you get that this temple doesn't look like that temple. But look at how he encourages them. He tells them to be strong, to work, to fear not. See, he's not looking for the splendor of the first temple. What pleased the Lord wasn't that this temple was going to be large and ornate and detailed and laden with gold and beautiful candlesticks and all of that. No, what pleased the Lord was that the people were going to be obedient. See, that's the beauty here. The beauty isn't the temple. The beauty is in the people's obedience. You look at verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out from Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. And he goes on and he, he basically says that, look, this, this temple doesn't look like much. But that I'm going to make this temple greater than the first temple ever was. That I'm going to fill this temple with more glory than the, the first temple ever had. Because his spirit is with them and he's going to bless them. See, the beauty of Israel's obedience wasn't in what they built. It was simply that they had started. The beauty was that they had responded rightly to the Lord's call to obedience. God's pleasure wasn't in the temple. It was in the people's obedience. Now, I have, I've got four kids and, and our youngest, Olivia, she's um, inching up close to two years old. And I would love to tell you that she's very obedient, uh, but she's not. And, and I've never met a two-year-old that is, right? Uh, I, I can tell her to do something, uh, and she looks back at me, and she smiles, and I say, never mind. You just do whatever you want, right? Uh, but, but I'll tell her to do something, and really, when I'm telling her or I'm asking her to do these things, I'm assuming that she's not going to do it, right? I say, hey, Livy, grab, grab your cup and put it up, or Livy, put that toy up, and, and I'm assuming that she's not going to do it. But every once in a while, she surprises me. 
right? Every once in a while, she grabs that toy and she takes it and she puts it up. Or she grabs those shoes and she takes them and she does something with them. Now, is her obedience perfect? Typically not, right? Typically she puts the toy in the wrong spot or she doesn't put it exactly the way I would want her to do it or she might not even do it really. She might grab the different toy than what I was talking about. But there's beauty in her obedience, right? There's beauty that, you know what? She did it. See, obedience is really about trust. See, when I tell Olivia, do this or don't do that, if she trusts that what I'm saying is good for her, then she's going to obey. See, if she, if she trusts that what I'm saying isn't to kill her joy, but is to increase her joy and to increase her pleasure, then she's going to do what I tell her to say. See, if we really trust our God who is good, then obedience, we understand, is beautiful. See, if we really trust that our God's plan and his ways are good, then what that means is that we aren't put off or discouraged when he calls us to obey, but we obey willingly, enthusiastically, because when we obey, we get God, right? There's beauty in obedience. There's beauty, and the beauty isn't just in the blessing. The beauty is also in the relationship, right? The beauty is also in the fact that, that you know what? Whenever I obey, man, I get God. I get more of Him. And see, out of this, this beauty of obedience, the last truth we see is this, that there is a blessing of obedience. The last move this book takes is the, the blessing of obedience. Our obedience is for our good because there is beauty and there is blessing. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become clean. Now, these two questions seemingly come out of nowhere. So if you, if you haven't read the book of Haggai, I'd encourage you to read it this week. And, and as you read it, one of the things that you'll notice when you get to this point is that this question about the law and what's clean and what's unclean, it really just flies out of left field. These questions, they, they come out of nowhere, but what's happening here is, is the Lord's getting at something. He, these questions have to do with degrees of holiness. And these answers are eventually going to be applied to the people. So look at verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer here is unclean. And so the bad news that Haggai's sharing is, look, just like if you come into a contact with a dead person, you were unclean, these people... In spite, they, they're obedient now, but their disobedience had made them unclean. And so now everything they do is tainted with their uncleanness. Everything they do. So, so from the sacrifices that they bring, the, the offerings that they make, it's unclean. In fact, the temple that they're building, which is supposed to be a holy place, it is now marked by their sin. 
And the bad news is this, is that there's no way that unclean offerings made in an unclean temple can cleanse unclean people. See, disobedience had made the people unclean. But look at verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Now, what's interesting about these verses is that what, what's happening here is the reader is being called and the listener is being called back to Deuteronomy. See, what the, Lord, the way the Lord ends that there with, I struck you with mildew and with hail and with blight, those are almost exact quotations from the covenant curses that were promised in Deuteronomy 18. They are almost exact word for word that if you break the covenant, this is what's going to happen. And so those covenant curses, they weren't meant as punishment only. Instead, they were meant as a way to wake the people up and to return them to the Lord. They were meant to grab the people's attention. And so now the people had begun obeying, but it appears that there's still something lacking. The people are still dealing with the fruits of disobedience. And yet in verses 18 and 19, everything changes. Look at verse 18. Consider from this day onward. It's like he says, write it down from the 24th day of the ninth month. Since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. See, the foundation is finally laid. And it's as if the Lord is saying here, foundation day changes everything. Right? If they had calendars, if their phones could, could pop up and remind them of a holiday that was coming, foundation day would be a holiday. Right? Because on that day, everything changes. From that day forward, the people begin to experience blessing. Now, we've already said we need to move cautiously here. But we cannot deny, and we should not deny, that there is blessing in obedience. The people were blessed because they were in the presence of the Lord. See, this is why the temple was so important. The reason the temple was important to the life of Israel was because that's where God's glory dwelled. It's where they met with the Lord. And so when they were right with God, everything else was right. And see, today, our obedience still affects our lives. Now, now some people get nervous when we start talking about obedience because they think we're going we're gonna to veer off into legalism or we're going to become a bunch of Pharisees. But, but here's the thing. We cannot deny the truth that the Lord demands obedience from his people. Right? He, he calls us to obey, and there is a blessing in that obedience. See, obedience leads to intimacy. Obedience leads to intimacy with the Father, but sin leads to alienation. Yesterday morning, I, I woke up early, and, and I, I looked out the front window, and I saw uh, that our grass needed to be mowed. Uh, and I, I said to Anna, I said, hey, it looks like our grass needs to be mowed. She said, yeah. It does, <laughs> right? Maybe you should do it. Uh, and so I, I go outside and I, I get my lawnmower and I crank it up and, and I make a few passes uh, and then my lawnmower dies, right? It, it's not, nothing's happening. This thing's like two years old. So I'm angry, um, I'm 
taking steps back in my Christ-likeness, right? I'm, I'm doing everything I can. And, and ultimately, what we realize, what we find out is that I had bad gas. Now, now here's the thing, though. Hey, here's the thing. You, that didn't sound right. That didn't sound right. Stop it. <laughs> the, the gas in the lawnmower was bad. Y'all need to repent. <laughs> the, the gas in the lawnmower had gone bad. And so when I opened, when I took the gas cap off, <laughs> there, you could look in the tank, and the tank looked fine. It, when you looked in the tank, the, I, I could see that nothing was floating. There was nothing bad in there. But here's what I learned. It doesn't take much to kill the gas. It doesn't take much to stop me from doing what I wanted to do. See, some of you think, some of us think that it's just a little sin and it's not that big of a deal. Some of us think that it's not really hurting anyone else. But it doesn't take much to stop us from going to where we want to go. It doesn't take much to stop us from growing, right? It doesn't take much to kill our intimacy with the Father. Now, our obedience doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. But our sin builds a wall between us and God, right? Our sin hinders us from the intimacy, from the relationship that we have been offered through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And some of us think that, hey, look, I, I, I get it, right? I, I'm not going to do this. I, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I know I shouldn't do that. But this is just a little sin. This isn't that big of a sin. It's not that big of a deal. But here's the thing. A sin against a holy God, no matter what we think it is, is a huge deal. Right? A sin against a holy God is enough. One sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. Right? It's enough to keep us from intimacy with the Father. Now, praise God, Jesus died for the sin. Right? Jesus died so that we can have forgiveness. Jesus died so that we can have victory over death and victory over sin. But we should not believe that just because we have Jesus, we can do whatever we want. See, Paul said in Romans, after explaining how the gospel gives us forgiveness and freedom, it, he, he, it's almost like he anticipates the question. He says, some of you say, what then? Should we go on sinning? And you know what Paul says? By no means. Because see, when we really understand the gospel, when we really understand grace, then our thought is not, well, how can I keep sinning and still be forgiven? When we really understand the gospel, when we really understand grace, our questions move to, how can I get more of Jesus? Right? How can I get more of the Father? See, there's beauty and there's blessing in obedience to God. Now, in Haggai... There's a lot of talk about the temple, right? That's what the people were called to do. They were called to obey by rebuilding the temple. But I would argue this. Haggai isn't really about the temple. Haggai is actually all about Jesus. See, see the reason the temple was such so important, such a big deal, was because the temple was where God's presence dwelt. 
The temple was where God lived with his people. Now, now he didn't live among his people. He, he lived with his people. But what does the book of John tell us about Jesus? That Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. That Jesus came and he dwelt among us. That Jesus is Emmanuel. He is our God with us. And so maybe, maybe as we've been looking at Haggai, maybe you say, well, where's the temple today? See, the church is not the temple. This building is not the temple, but the people are. You see, that, that because of what Jesus has done through his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, that, that he promised that, hey, there was a coming a day when he was going to go and he was going to be with the Father and that it was better for him to go because if he went, then the Spirit could come. That, that when he left, he would send his Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, the Helper is what he calls it. He would send the Helper to dwell in his people. And so now, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, we don't go to the temple trying to make, be made right with God. No, because we have been made right with God, God has come to us. Because we have been made right with God, now the Spirit of God dwells inside of us, His people. And this is why sin is such a big deal. Because when we sin, what the New Testament tells us is that we are quenching the Spirit. That we are killing the intimacy that God desires and that is available to us. And so this morning, as we look at the book of Haggai, God's call for us is a call to obedience, but it's not a call to obedience to rebuild a temple. It's a call to obedience to fight against sin because the God that lived in the temple now lives in us. And because the God that now lives in us is alive and he is active, he doesn't just tell us, get this, he doesn't say, hey, you need to be obedient, you need to be better. No, you know what he does? He sends the spirit to live inside of us and he says, you can't be better, but my spirit living inside of you who raised Jesus from the dead, he is powerful enough to kill the sin that is in you, right? And so even our obedience is spirit-driven. It's spirit-fueled. It's not pull your bootstraps up and be better. No, it's because I have the spirit of God in my life. I have everything that I need to be obedient. I have everything that I need to fight against sin. And now because of that, I can live the life that God has called me to live because his grace has already accomplished it for me. So our obedience isn't about us trying harder. Our obedience is about us resting in the fact that we have God because he has come to us. And so maybe today, that's what you need. Maybe today, for the first time, you need to trust Christ. And I say every week, at the end of this service, you can step right out into the next steps room. And there's people there ready to pray with you, ready to talk with you about following Jesus. And some of you are probably tired of hearing me say that. But the reason I say that is because I think there might be another Aiden in this room, right? But last week, she, she walked out, went to the next, that next steps room, and there were people in there ready to talk with her and pray with her. Now, some of you are saying, I want the Texas Roadhouse meeting, right? Uh, the, the Car Carla got the Texas Roadhouse meeting. I want the Texas Roadhouse meeting, right? Well, we can do that too. We can do that too, but, but here's the thing. Some of you, and maybe it's you, today, you need to answer the call of obedience. And that call of obedience is not be a better person. That call of obedience is to trust Christ. And so maybe, maybe this morning, you need, just need to 
lay your life down at the feet of Jesus. Or, or maybe, maybe today, maybe this morning, you say, Ethan, I, I'm trusting Jesus, but, but Ethan, I know that I've let this sin in my life. I've let this sin kill my intimacy with the Father. Here's the good news for us, is that God's forgiveness never runs out. God's forgiveness never expires. His grace is always good. He never gets tired of giving it. See, even I've come, I've come back to him over and over and over again. Well, here's the good news is that he's ready for you to keep coming back to him, right? Some of you are feeling that, hey, I'm that prodigal from the prodigal son, right? You remember the story of the prodigal son? The father doesn't say, nope, go away. You've, ta- you, you've, you've used all your grace. No, what does he say? He runs to meet him. And so maybe, maybe this morning you're saying, Ethan, I need to, I need to return to the Lord, but, but I'm, I'm a little dirty. I'm a little messed up. Well, know this, that the reason you're coming to return to the Lord is because he's run to you first, right? That he loves, you love him because he loved you first. And so as we sing this morning, maybe you just need to take some time. You need to pray and you need, you need to just ask the Lord to, to apply the gospel to your heart today, that, that you need to repent of that sin that you've let creep in and you need to turn from that. Or maybe today you need to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus for the first time. Maybe today you need to, while we sing, maybe you don't even need to sing. Maybe you just need to, to pray Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need grace. I know I need to be saved. And God, I want you to save me because I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I know I can't. I need you, Jesus. Forgive me. See, what saves you isn't a prayer. It's the the attitude of your heart. So you don't have to pray the exact perfect prayer because God isn't a genie who only answers according to you getting all the words right. No, the Lord knows the heart. And so maybe this morning, that's what you need to do. And here's the thing. We want to celebrate Right? We, wanna, we want to make much of it with you because the Bible tells us that there is rejoicing in heaven, that the angels rejoice in heaven when even one sinner comes home. So those two baptisms that we celebrated this morning, man, heaven's partying, right? And, and we want to keep the party going. So I'm going to pray, and we are going to sing. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you that the call to obedience isn't left to us. It's not called to obey in our own strength and in our own power, but that by your spirit, you empower us to obedience. That because we have your spirit, we have nothing to fear. And so it's not whether or not we can be strong enough to obey because we know that the spirit is strong enough. We know that the Spirit is good and the Spirit leads us to righteousness. The Spirit leads us to holiness. And so maybe this morning, Father, there are some in here who need to stop trying to do it on their own and instead they need to trust you. Father, maybe there are some here this morning who who need to stop trying to be good enough or stop trying to run hard enough and instead they just need to rest in the arms of Jesus who has promised them grace and rest and love. Father, I pray that you would make us obedient. Father, I pray that you would help us to see you as beautiful and as good and that we would want you more than we want our sin. And so, Father, work in our hearts and make us like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. 
For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.